Well, it really is a privilege uh, to be with you here today, uh, whether you're in the room, also to those who are tuning in online as well. Uh, I love uh, the opportunity to learn about what God is doing through His church all around the world, uh, including here. Uh, and I'm thankful to God for you, thankful to God for your pastor, thankful to God for how uh, God has been at work and I trust will continue to be at work in and through this church. Uh, but Hertford Street Baptist Church, your church, uh, through monthly giving, uh, is already uh, a significant support and encouragement to our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Thank you. Uh, on behalf of Open Doors Australia, thank you for being part of this work. While we may at times be separated by borders, by time, by denominations, ultimately there is one body, uh, the body of Christ. There is one church and we are part of that one family. And when one part suffers, we all suffer. And when one part rejoices, we all rejoice. And so thank you uh, for what this church is doing to stand uh, with the suffering parts of our global family in Christ. Uh, listen, you are bringing hope to persecuted believers. Uh, as I said earlier on, uh, Open Doors has been delivering Bibles. Uh, that was kind of the origin story of Open Doors uh, to restricted countries and communities uh, since 1955, almost 70 years uh, and that continues to be central to who we are and what we do. Uh, and yet, I'm sure many of you would be aware, lots of people, 1.45 billion people, uh, still do not have a full Bible uh, in their mother language. Uh, and so, uh, this morning, uh, even before we spend some time reflecting on Acts chapter 14, uh, I want to encourage you to be part of spreading the word, uh, part of giving Bibles continuing in the work that for almost 70 years has been central uh, to all that we do at Open Doors and God has used in remarkable ways. Uh, we read in Hebrews chapter 4 that the Word of God is alive and active. Uh, and brothers and sisters, you can be part of bringing light to the darkness, hope to generations uh, by being part of our current Bible appeal that happens every May and June, uh, every year with Open Doors, uh, $20 uh, could deliver a Bible uh, to a Christian uh, who is one of the most persecuted people on the planet. Um, having seen many videos, and maybe you've seen videos and heard stories of just how wonderful it is for those who don't have the Word, yet know Jesus, and have been introduced to the Word and introduced to Jesus to actually receive the Bible uh, in their own hands, uh, we can be part of that work today. And so let me urge you and encourage you, over and above the regular giving that your church is doing, over and above the regular giving that you are part of, um, in, uh, in, in contributing to all that God is doing through your tithes and offerings, um, would you consider today um, buying a Bible uh, for $20? Uh, that's a Big Mac, Big Mac meal um, and then a, um, a coffee later on uh, when you regret buying that Big Mac meal. <laughs> but uh, chatting with Pastor Josh just yesterday, um, uh, we've got a goal of uh, could Hertford Street Baptist Church uh, this weekend actually raise uh, 20 Bibles? Uh, uh, 20 of us in a position to be part of this work. Uh, you could give right this second via the QR code on the screen. Uh, likewise, the link opendoors.org.au slash HertfordST. And also, uh, most of you should be within reach of a postcard 
um, that uh, even if you wanted to, if you're sick of the sermon in a few moments, uh, feel free just to even go onto that website uh, using that specific link uh, that's, on, that's linked to on the card there as well. Um, and you could read more about our Bible appeal and even read some stories and maybe even in your own time after the service today, you could do that. Uh, but uh, we would love to encourage you to, before you even leave today, uh, be part of uh, this church uh, raising money for 20 Bibles uh, to get into the hands of some of the most persecuted believers in the world. Uh, likewise, please come and see me out at the desk uh, after the service um, if you would uh, like to ask questions about how that works, if you'd like to give a cash gift as well, uh, you're very welcome to do that. This really is critical work and central to who we are as the people of God uh, and central to who we are as open doors and what we can continue in this world. Hey, um, Josh has already read out Acts chapter 14 for us. Who's keen to dig into it? Yeah, great. Lots of nods, active nods. Not very loud, but lots of nods. How about we, uh, we've prayed a few times, but why don't we pray one more time now um, that God's word right now would be living and active uh, as we reflect upon it together. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together as your people right now. And Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks we thank you for the word that we've just heard. We know that it is living and it is active. And so give us faith to receive this word by the power and the illumination of your Holy Spirit. Enable us to understand what it means and give us the desire and the will to put it into practice. And Father, we pray this boldly and confidently because of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, uh, who lives, um, who rules, who reigns and who will one day return. Amen. Well, I want to speak to the weak and discouraged people in the room today. Anyone feeling a little bit weak today? Anyone feeling a little bit discouraged today? Now, I know there's a few hands that did actually go up, but I know there's others who are like, actually, I'm so weak and discouraged, I don't even want to put my hand up right now. Hey, the good news is, um, the church is, church is a great place to be on a Sunday morning, uh, if you're weak and if you're discouraged. We don't have to have it all together to turn up to church. We come with all sorts of wounds, uh, we come with all sorts of struggles, uh, we come knowing our own weaknesses and the discouragements that we face. It might be right now you're confronted by sickness, you're reminded of relational breakdown, your own struggle with sin, or, or maybe even just disappointment uh, when the gospel mission that you're part of here is slower and maybe less effective than you'd hoped and even prayed. The reality is none of us are strong all the time. <laughs> We're kidding ourselves if we think we've got it together all the time. And so the question for us this morning as we reflect upon Acts 14 is, amid our weakness, where do we turn to for strength? And amid our discouragement, where do we turn to for encouragement? Now, while on mission here, through this church, where do you find strength and encouragement to press on? We continue a teaching series today, uh, all about a church on mission. Uh, Josh has kicked that series off over the last couple of weeks. You've got the privilege of hearing from a few different organizations and then Josh landing it at the end of the series as well. I'm so encouraged by what I hear about the shape of it. Uh, I hope you are too by being part of it. Uh, you have a mission here in Upper Mount Gravatt, throughout Brisbane and indeed to the ends of the earth. And so keep out Acts chapter 14, uh, Acts is part two of the gospel story. Remember, it's written by Luke. Luke wrote Acts chapter one, uh, and he wrote the whole of, uh, he, sorry, he wrote Luke chapter one, and he wrote the whole of Luke, and in the gospel of Luke, we learnt about what God 
began to do and teach in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 1, we read about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Uh, the, the message of Jesus' death and his resurrection, which is contained in Luke's gospel, is the message, and particularly the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's alive. We've seen him. That is the mission of making him known throughout the first century is the story that we read in Acts. Chapter, uh, in Acts. The key verse uh, you may be familiar with in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says, you will receive, Jesus says, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the key human character um, by this stage in Acts 13 and Acts 14 is the Apostle Paul. We'd remember the Apostle Paul. He was a persecutor of Christians. He went from being a terrorist, systematically destroying Christianity... And yet, what a profound conversion. Converted to Christ, systematically giving his life, pouring his life out to share the message of Christ, crucified and risen. And so, Acts 13 and 14 is Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, you can often find maps in your Bible of Paul's missionary journeys. They're actually really helpful just to even kind of work out where you are. Now, we're going to focus on Acts chapter 14, what we've had read out, but it's worthwhile just kind of quickly glancing our eyes back over chapter 13 of Acts. Uh, and to help us do that, we've got a summary diagram, a map up on the screen uh, to kind of even just track with the journey uh, of chapter 13. You've got the, the references of the passages where each of these names are mentioned. Uh, and so, you can kind of see, begins in chapter 13, verse 1, in Antioch. Uh, then heads to Seleucia, Salamis, um, Paphos in the southernmost part of that journey, up to Persia, Pisidian, and then on to Iconium. Um, uh, there's a little bit of geography uh, of the Middle East. Uh, but here, here's, here's, here's chapter 13, here is Paul's mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, if we had time to read the whole of chapter 13, we'd, we'd, we'd see a solid gospel sermon from the Apostle Paul, proclaiming Jesus as the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises that God has made, seeing that the death of Jesus on the cross is for our sin, and seeing that message that is at the heart of the book of Acts, the triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's all the way through Acts chapter 13. But pick up uh, towards the end, the final paragraph of Acts chapter 13, verse 48 says... And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stir, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet um, against them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The gospel is made known in this missionary journey and all those places up on the screen. And yet there's two responses when the gospel message is made known. People believe and receive eternal life while others reject the message. But did you notice more than just reject the message 
persecute the messengers. And yet, what a stunning final verse. The disciples yet were still filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They press on with the mission that is before them. Persecution doesn't stop them from making Christ known to the ends of the earth. And so turn with me to chapter 14 of Acts. We're going to move fairly quickly through the narrative and then slow down kind of towards the end of the chapter. But I want you to even, in a sense, feel the fast-paced gospel mission that it is. The church is persecuted and yet remains focused on the mission at hand. Pick it up with me again in chapter 14, uh, beginning at verse 1. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of uh, Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. They escape. They're being persecuted, but they escape being stoned this time. And they press on in their mission to make the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection known. And so it continues, uh, verse 8, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looked intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Astonishing. The gospel is coming with, with signs, with wonders, with miracles, with power. And so look at the response, verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices. Look at this, saying in Lyconium, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, godlike names, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Now, if we'd been tracking along with Acts uh, two chapters ago, when Herod was treated like a god, do you remember what he did? He took the glory. He took the glory that actually belongs to the true God, to the living God. But look at how different the response is from Paul and Barnabas. Acts chapter 14, verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowds, crying out, Men! Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Talk about a reception. <laughs> but what do Paul and Barnabas desperately want to communicate to this crowd? Do not worship us. Worship the God who gives you rain and fruit, food and gladness. 
and so to another map. We begin there in Iconium and make our way to Lystra, then to Derby, then back through Lystra, through Iconium again, then around to Pisidian Antioch, Persia, Attilia, and then to Syrian Antioch as well. Do you notice with these two maps that they are actually going back through the regions they've already been driven out of? They're going back through these regions where they were persecuted. Isn't that crazy? Isn't there another way? Couldn't you catch a different connecting flight? Look at verse 19. The Jews came to Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Like they did a decent job. They thought he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Press on in the mission. Paul and his team, Barnabas and so on, they have been copying it everywhere they go. Gets to this point in Lystra where the stoning was so close to being successful, they thought he was dead, so they left him for dead. But he's alive. And I even love the phrase there, he rose up in verse 20. I think it's a little bit of a hint at a resurrection of sorts. Not suggesting that he necessarily died, but it's almost just a reminder that Paul is following after the resurrected Lord. That, that, that Paul is following the one that can actually bring life where there is seemingly death, can give strength, can give encouragement where there should be discouragement and incredible weakness. And so the next day, if we were to do the maths with, um, with, a, with a, a scaled map, he set off on a 100-kilometre journey. He's just been left for dead. No, nope, he's alive. Okay, let's have a quick nap and let's move on. A hundred kilometers away. And so they continue on their mission trip. And as they pass back through the towns that they've been kicked out of, what do they do? They, they, they turn up to these people, because remember, people did respond to the gospel in each of these towns. And so it's critical that they go back through the towns where these believers are clearly in the minority to strengthen them, to encourage them. The job's not done. We don't avoid the persecuted places. We don't avoid the fire. Enter into the difficult places that those who are seeking to follow Jesus in the midst of great opposition can be strengthened and encouraged. And so I think this is good news, uh, not just for the persecuted believers that Paul and Barnabas visited on their way back through their missionary journey, not just good news for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world today, I think this is good news for us as well. When we're feeling weak, when we're feeling discouraged, we may not have the same fiery trials that some of our brothers and sisters in northern Nigeria may experience. And yet we still have trials. We still have moments that remind us of our weakness, situations that bring discouragement. And so I trust that this message right now, and as we even just slow down a little bit at the end of chapter 14, will strengthen and encourage you. Look, there's, there's three things I want you to notice about the nature of their ministry to the disciples. I said to, um, I said to Josh while we were singing earlier on, I had a look at your values statement over on the, the banner there, and I said, Josh, 
I think three of my points are pretty much three of your value statements. So it's all kind of linking together. It sounds like you got your values from the Bible. That might be, uh, might be what's going on. The first thing I want you to notice about this ministry um, to the disciples as they head back through these persecuted places, number one is gospel-shaped discipleship. Gospel-shaped discipleship. Discipleship means to follow. And notice that the, the, the gospel um, doesn't just shape proclamation to unbelievers, but the gospel is actually what continues to shape believers, those who are already followers of Jesus. The gospel is not just a message that you hear of the perfect life of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus, the triumphant resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and that one day Jesus will return, and if you believe this message, you will come into God's family. It is that, but it's not just that. It also shapes and is the pattern that we actually have our discipleship and our ongoing relationship with Jesus shaped by. And so pick it up with me in verse 21. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. They preached the gospel. Um, They preached the gospel. The city is Derby. Uh, and they've preached the death and resurrection of Jesus and m- have made many disciples. It's also part of your mission. The gospel is spreading. And so now they start tracking back through the previous cities they've been driven out of. Lystra is mentioned. Remember, that's where Paul was stoned. And yet, they made many disciples. Iconium, they attempted to stone them. And they fled, and yet many believed. Pisidian Antioch, well, there was persecution there. They were literally driven out of the city, and yet people were saved. It's incredible. So, why go back, though? Well, the job wasn't done. People believed in all three cities, but now needed to be established and strengthened in their new faith. Now, the verse up on the screen, verse 22 Uh, just going to kind of walk through that just a phrase at a time, kind of even seeing what this gospel-shaped discipleship looks like. Look at the first phrase, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Strengthening. We are more than bodies. We are souls. The, The strengthening is an inward strengthening of the soul, ongoing growth, as a follower of Jesus. I think that picks up even some of the themes from Titus 2 last week the ongoing transformation of the heart and the soul. Friends, our souls need strengthening. The ongoing pattern of disciples then and now is that our souls always need to be strengthened in the Lord. Next phrase, it says, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Encouragement. Keep going. Continue. I had a whole bunch of friends that were in the Blue Mountains of Sydney yesterday that are just ridiculously fit. They did a 100-kilometre race. I didn't realise I had so many fit friends in Sydney that were at this race, Uh, but half a dozen people that I knew could see their progress across the day and could see the messages of support and encouragement that they received across the day. You see, anyone can start a race, but the the key is to finish the race. Uh, These people are legends. They finish the race. 
But they needed the ongoing encouragement. They needed the ongoing messages. They needed the first aid stations. They needed to see their friends and family cheering at each of those stations. They needed to hear the message, keep going, keep going, keep going. You see, becoming a Christian, at one level, it happens once. But the ongoing commitment to keep following Jesus is a call to keep on running, even limping, step by step, struggle by struggle, press on, continuing in the faith, keep trusting Jesus. And then the final phrase there, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. What's Paul doing there? Paul is setting up the expectation that, hey, the suffering you're experiencing right now, you ought not be surprised about. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, Paul speaks with some experience here, doesn't he? Go have a read of 2 Corinthians 11 sometime to look at the the catalogue, the bullet points of how many ways in which Paul uh, was pushed to the limits. He cops it again and again. We've just seen it in our own reading. And it's fascinating to look at what uh, he says, reflecting on his experience in a well-known passage about persecution, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 to 12, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 to 12, maybe look it up later, but it says, Paul says to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul reflects on his Acts 13 and 14 experience there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and says this is normal. It's normal to be persecuted, not just in the first century where the Romans made a sport, literally, of killing Christians. It was entertainment. But today, 360 million of our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ are under the constant threat of very high to extreme persecution. That's one in seven believers. In places like the Middle East, that's three in four believers. As you know, I work with Open Doors, and Open Doors was founded almost 70 years ago by Dutch missionary Brother Andrew, And a big part of what Brother Andrew did was in this car, uh, in this Volkswagen, uh, smuggling Bibles across the Iron Curtain. Why? To encourage believers. And let me remind you uh, that you can continue that work of getting Bibles into hard-to-reach places uh, through our Bible appeal. But a key verse for uh, Brother Andrew uh, was Revelation chapter 3, verse 2 reflecting on the church and the, the, the command was strengthen what remains. As an organisation, we have been part of strengthening what has remained for almost 70 years. There's 30 development countries like Australia and Holland and New Zealand and UK and Germany, USA and so on. Uh, and there's 70 field countries, uh, the most difficult places to be Christian. And Open Doors exists to serve persecuted believers by helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. I think open doors are continuing the work that Paul and Barnabas did 
from Acts 14, verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Strengthen, encouraging, setting expectations that persecution is normal. As I said before with Josh in the interview, open doors, we we are not seeking to end persecution. That would be easy, friends. Don't take Jesus so seriously. You know, it was a privilege personally to meet many persecuted believers. Um, In Egypt, um, recently, I went on a trip with some of the Australia and New Zealand Open Doors team, and it really was a life-changing time. Um, But I trust that even though I think we were an encouragement to our persecuted brothers and sisters, uh, as we encouraged them to keep trusting Jesus and to be strengthened in the Lord, uh, if I'm honest, I think they taught me way more than I was able to teach them. I learned so much more about faith through their example. Uh, On our very first day uh, um, in uh, Egypt, uh, our tour guide, Mata, he said these words, if persecution leaves the body of Christ, it weakens. Persecution is like going to the gym. We grow when our muscles are under pressure. The pressure and burden of persecution brings growth in the Christian life. Isn't that, isn't that phenomenal? They actually realise that persecution is for their good. No one really enjoys lifting weights, right? But they kind of know, hey, there's some good benefits of this. This, this, will, this will help me in my life. This will, this will build some strength. God uses persecution to strengthen the body. And so anytime we support gospel work to the ends of the earth, we, we do it for the sake of those in need. But I think remarkably, and this is my own experience well before I worked for Open Doors, is I think supporting the persecuted church, knowing what our brothers and sisters are going through, supporting organisations like Open Doors, we get incredible encouragement in return. I think the persecuted church can become like our own spiritual mentors that encourage us to be disciples, trusting Jesus no matter the cost. Yes, we encourage them to keep trusting Jesus, but their faith their perseverance, their courage ought to encourage us to press on, to keep running and to keep trusting Jesus. And so Paul's ministry, it is gospel-shaped discipleship. The same gospel that saves is the same gospel that sustains. If you are feeling in any way weak or discouraged this morning, let me urge you to find strength and encouragement in the gospel as you follow Jesus and let the gospel shape your journey. Number one, gospel-shaped discipleship. Number two, gospel, oh, sorry, God-centered prayer. Number two, God-centered prayer. You see, before they, um, before they leave, they appoint elders to continue the work of discipleship. They've got to continue on their mission. Verse 23 says, and when they'd appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Um, uh, Prayer is the priority. You've got these fresh converts, and yet they're ready to lead the charge. Now, it's probably more likely that uh, some commentators suggest that these were probably God-fearing Gentiles and perhaps Jews that had been scattered abroad who already were versed in the Old Testament and, and knew about Jesus, and so not necessarily the out-and-out pagan who became a pastor overnight. 
Uh, you can read in the pastoral epistles, there's actually something important about what are the qualifications for these elders, as Paul encourages Timothy and Titus to uh, be part of setting up leaders in the church. Though there's still obviously risks, they're still new to Christianity and following after Jesus, which highlights and underlines prayer, entrusting these under-shepherds to the over-shepherd, Jesus. Entrusting these shepherds and indeed all of the sheep to God's ongoing care. Jesus knows His sheep. Jesus will care for them. The photo on the screen is from a, um, a secret upper room uh, gathering uh, that our team had with some local Christians involved in discipleship ministry in Egypt. Uh, one particularly inspiring leader was Pastor Karim. It's not his real name. Uh, he has been uh, serving amid great difficulties in this region of Egypt for decades. Now, growing up in a village nearby where we are meeting on this day, he would often be awakened in the night by the footsteps of police on his roof chasing after extremists. This is, this is his upbringing, understandably a terrifying environment to be a child. Now, he shared with us how he gave his life to Christ. That was a big deal. Uh, and in a small discipleship group, uh, he did that uh, and others did that. And over the years, though, many of the members, most of the members, ended up moving to either Cairo or overseas to avoid persecution. And he said that he, too, was thinking about leaving. And then he had a dream. And in the dream, he, he thought that the Lord said to him, a true hero doesn't leave the battle. They stand and fight to the end. He woke believing that God had called him to stay amid the darkness all around him and continue to be light in this community. And hearing his story, hearing of his trials, hearing of what he has been through, what light he has been as he has stood firm in Christ in a dark place. Now listen, when we asked Pastor Karim if he had a, a message for the Australian church, we were mindful of you. We were mindful of coming to share stories of the people we met in Egypt. This was his response. Don't escape from the pain. Accept the challenges, because in the middle of the challenge, God is working. Open your ears, open your eyes and see how God is working. What a challenge. So often when hard times come in our Christian life, we retreat in fear. And yet our persecuted brothers and sisters can teach us how to see that God is still at work. And God's mission will continue. You know, before we left, uh, Pastor Karim grabbed one of, um, one of our team by the shoulders grabbed him, looked him intently in the eyes and he said, you'll pray for us, won't you? They are strong and courageous believers and yet they desperately need our prayers. And you know, the only way they are strong is because the Lord strengthens the sheep. Everywhere we went in Egypt, pastors, gospel workers and ordinary Christians... They kept asking us and imploring us to pray and to invite churches here in Australia to pray for them. We prayed with them then 
and we can continue to pray for them now. What would it look like for this church? I know there's a, a prayer, a monthly prayer gathering coming up, but what would it look like for this church to be a community where they committed them to the Lord, where we committed one another to the Lord, where we commit the persecuted church to the Lord, where we commit each other in this room to the Lord? What would it look like as a church, whether through formal opportunities, informal opportunities, through your own personal prayer life, to pray, to commit one another, the family in this room, the family tuning in line, the family who struggle to get along here, and the family to the ends of the earth, including our persecuted brothers and sisters, committed them to the Lord. Friends, pray with one another, pray for one another. Let someone know that you've been praying for them. Let someone know in this room, this week, I've been praying this for you, you've been on my heart, I know that has been hard, take courage. Prayer shows our absolute dependence on God. Prayer shows our need for Him to work. Like the persecuted church, we need Him to strengthen us and encourage us on our mission here in Brisbane. The third and final aspect to this ministry that we see is grace-filled stories. Grace-filled stories, they continue, their onward, they continue onward in their journey, all the way back to where they started, to Antioch in verse 26, Syrian Antioch. And look at what happens when they get there, verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Persia, they went down to Atalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door. Look at that, open doors, open doors Sunday. Uh, opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. I just think this is an amazing paragraph, and we won't spend long reflecting on it, but what do you get a glimpse of? There's this sharing of the stories of the Lord's work. Kind of picture sitting around the fire in the evening. The theme of the grace of God uh, comes up in this text. It comes back to the gospel. This is all of grace. This is all God's kindness. Do you know how the person seated beside you became a Christian? That might be a few years ago, but what's stopping you from continuing to share the grace of God in your life? It might be 50 years ago. You once were blind, but then you could see. Share that story. People might have forgotten that story. Share it again. Gather around in morning tea. Gather around in homes. Remind one another of how God's grace is at work in your life and in your community. Celebrate the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The stories of how people have come to know Him. The stories of how you yourself have seen Him at work recently and indeed over the years. So I want to conclude with a remarkable story of grace. We learnt while in Egypt. It was on our um, second full day in Egypt, after a morning out in the silence of the desert, visiting a monastery, we came back to the hustle and bustle of downtown Cairo. Uh, we arrived through uh, heavy security at El Botrasia Church, with the scorching mid-afternoon heat on our backs and the constant cacophony of honking horns uh, around the perimeter of the church compound. 
In a matter of seconds, we were retracing the steps of a suicide bomber. Step one, the wrong door. Immediately, we were shown exactly where the suicide bomber had walked in off the street at 10 a.m. It's just after 10 a.m. here. On Sunday, 11th of December, 2016. Now, those familiar with Egyptian church culture would know that the men sit on the left and the women sit on the right of the church. And so this newcomer to church started walking towards the door on the right. Now, there's one man, Nabil, who noticed and instantly ran after this newcomer, wrapping his arms around him. He wasn't just a newcomer, he was a terrorist. And just after he'd entered the door, the women's door, at that moment, the bomb was detonated. Step two is the black tile. We stood on a black tile placed on the ground as part of the post-bombing refurbishment. This was where the suicide bomber ended the lives of those ordinary followers of Jesus gathered for Sunday worship like we are gathered for Sunday worship. We stood in that place and we remembered those martyrs. Step three is the pillar. You see, as a result of the explosion, 28 women and girls were killed as well as Nabil, and yet it would have been many more, but for the heroic intervention of this observant brother in Christ. As you can see, the shrapnel marks that remain on the internal pillars of the church, they made an indelible impression upon me too. Step four is the blood. Outside the church, they have put glass over some of the blood that still splattered on the walls 40 metres away from ground zero to remember those whose blood was shed. And the final step, number five, is the aftermath. On the day of our visit, just two metres from the black tile, we had the privilege of meeting this man, Ashrav. He is the twin brother of Nabil, the one who tackled the suicide bomber. Listen to these words from Ashrav reflecting on that dreadful day. He said this, The sight of the blood and the bodies in the aftermath of the explosion was unbearable. But knowing that Nabil is now crowned in heaven gives me strength. God has supernaturally filled me with condolence, comfort, and peace. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that an incredible perspective? We, uh, we asked Ashrav, are people still worried and fearful of coming to church? His response, he said, every day we have a liturgy and every day the church is full. In Brisbane, if there's a little bit of rain on Sunday, I'm not talking about the floods that we sometimes get in Brisbane, but many churchgoers genuinely weigh up, well, am I actually going to gather with the people of God this Sunday? And yet, look at the lesson from our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith in places like Egypt. Rather than shrinking back in fear, persecution actually brings greater resolve. These Christ followers don't give up meeting together, but adversity draws their community together all the more. On the desert highway that morning, before we'd even visited this particular church, our tour guide had said these powerful words, the blood of the martyrs is the irrigation of the church. You see, as persecution increases, the Egyptian church continues to meet, disciple, evangelize, and grow. And blood fuels that growth. Friends, be encouraged by the stories of grace from Egypt. 
Persecution is not just something from the first century and the time of Paul's missionary journeys. It continues to this day. And yet God is at work in the middle of it. The mission continues. When we feel weak and discouraged, brothers, sisters, let's press on in the gospel. Let's press on in Christ's mission. Let's pray for strength and courage, no matter the opposition. Let us be a people of gospel-shaped disciple, God-centered prayer and heart uh, and grace-filled stories. Hertford Street, I hope and trust uh, that you are encouraged to see how God is at work around the world uh, as the church remains on mission, as the gospel continues to spread even in the face of opposition. Thank you again for your support for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Continue to learn their stories, pray for them, and as you are able, give to help strengthen them in their faith. Uh, if you'd, I'd love to chat with you uh, uh, next door uh, at the open doors table there. But why don't we conclude our time in God's word by committing our persecuted family, ourselves, and our gospel mission uh, to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, that you are at work in the world through the gospel. Um, Father, we know that our brothers and sisters right now desperately need to be strengthened in their faith. And so would you do that? And Lord, we ask that as we learn their stories, we would be moved to pray for them. And Father, that we would be inspired uh, to keep trusting Jesus no matter the cost, that you would strengthen us, that this church would be a place that the gospel shapes discipleship, that this church would be a place where prayer is offered regularly, um, that we'd commit each other to the Lord, and that this place would be a place where grace-filled stories abound, new stories and old stories alike. You are at work. Continue your mission in Upper Mount Gravatt, in Brisbane, and indeed to the ends of the earth, as the message of Christ crucified and risen is made known. For your glory we pray. Amen.